The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. Now tonight, ladies, we are um, in Mary of Bethany. We are in Bethany again. So tonight we're going to talk about worship. And <laughs> I had the sweetest email from you and she said, now it might be a funny, it seemed like a funny time to spend a night um, talking about worship in the middle of a world crisis. But she said, I think this is just the night for it. And she gave me a beautiful, beautiful testimony, um, which kind of encouraged me to go forward. And that is what we're going to, that is what we're talking about tonight. How to be women that live in worship. Not just, not just sing worship choruses, but we actually live in worship every moment of every day. What does that look like? And um, I want us, as we get started, um, I want us to kind of, I want to, I, we had five lenses through which we were looking through all these stories, the theological one, the context, the personal, the missional, and the practical. Um, these are kind of where we're going tonight. Theologically, we're going to look at the, um, the incarnation. What does it mean that God entered into our story and now he's inviting us to enter into his story? We're going to look at the context because the context of this story is very important. And we usually see Mary as pouring out her alabaster box. We live, we give all our love to him. But tonight, if you can set that aside, like we did for Martha last week, we're going to look at it in a little bit of a larger context and see how this story not only fits into what was happening, but fits into Jesus's story. And then we're going to look, what does it mean to worship? What does it mean? And from, and the beautiful thing about Mary's life that I learned this week is that the personal and the missional for Mary are going to be the same. Remember like in the Samaritan woman and we were studying her and a whole village came to know Jesus, right? She just went and shared and the whole village came to know. And then even the woman caught in adultery, it kind of opened that door for anyone caught in shame and anyone caught in power plays. It opened the door for all of them to be set free by the blood of Jesus. Mary's story is a little different. Mary's story is simply a woman coming to Jesus and worshiping him and loving him. And out of that love comes her mission. And uh, I, I, I'm, I got so excited about it um, because it's, that is so available to each one of us. But before we start, I want to give us a different definition of worship than, than I had ever heard before. And But I, this is going to undergird everything. And this is consonant with the book of John. You can read the entire book with this idea of worship. Okay? Worship is the gift of participating through the Spirit in the incarnate Son's communion with the Father. Worship is an invitation into the heart of God through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Worship is a Trinitarian experience. It is not something that I just give to the Lord. Isn't, it isn't just praise and gratitude. It is actually stepping into the divine conversation between the Father and the Son. And you, if you say, Cricket, I'm not sure that's true. You just start reading John and listen to all the places we are invited into the conversation between Jesus and the Father. In fact, as we were doing our homework this week, I was um, reading John 14. And, you know, we're always talking about our pronouns. Keep your pronouns straight. It's not about you. It's about him, right? Always. But the funny thing about John 14, 15 to 31, this is going to make you laugh, is the pronouns are all are all second person. He says, you, 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 over and over again. He says it so many times that I got a tickle. And, and if you read it, these are the promises from John 14. You will keep my commandments, not you must keep my commandments. You will keep my commandments because you love me. You will have a helper. The Holy Spirit is coming. You will not be alone. I'm not going to leave you orphans. You will live because I live. You will know him, Father. You will be loved by my Father. You will be a home for God. We will come to you. You will be taught by the Holy Spirit. You will remember all the words of Jesus. Don't you love that? You will remember. So do you ever go to pray at night and you're trying to think, okay, what are my words? You will remember all the words of Jesus. You will be taught by the Holy Spirit and you will have peace and you will believe. Aren't those beautiful promises, right? We are, we are participating in the father and the son's communion with one another, right? 
Jesus loves the Father. He listens to his word. He does his will. He accomplishes his purposes. Jesus lives because the Father lives, right? There's that indwelling sense. And they are welcoming, the Father and the Son, welcoming us through the Holy Spirit into that intimacy and saying to us, you can know, you can know what's happening in the heart of God. And ladies, sometimes, and this is, this is happening, this happens as we think about, sometimes we are too small in our gospel, right? That is why we want to study theologically, because we just think, okay, these are things I need to make sure that I'm doing. And Jesus, the Father is saying, you are welcome into my heart, and here is the way, and all these promises are for you, and worship is when you are listening to the Son, and the Son is listening to the Father, and the Son is sharing the Father's heart with you, and the Holy Spirit is making it all possible and keeping our hearts clean so that there is nothing between. And we are welcomed into an intimacy with Jesus that doesn't need any, it's face to face. And you know, so much of the church, there has to be liturgy, there has to be a priest, there has to be a step, there has to be this, there has to be good works. And Jesus says, no, I want to wash all of that away. I want you to come not only directly into my presence, I'm going to open up the heart of the father to you. And that is what worship is. I want you to think of worship in that big way, listening to Jesus as Jesus talks to the father and being involved in their conversation. And as we begin to do that, what we find, right? What we find is our lives are transformed. We're living in that intimacy with the triune God, empowered by the spirit of God to understand the heart of God. And I don't think he does it with like, boom, I think it's like this, we, we learn and we grow and he, he, he's very patient with us, right? Like a father with a child teaching us what it means to understand his heart. This is what our definition of worship is. Read John 14, 15, 16, 17, and you'll find this is really what we are invited to. What is eternal life? That we would know the father and we would know his son. All right. So I want to give you a little bit. That's that's our background, our theological background. That's where we're coming from. But I want to give you a little context of Mary's story, because we're, what we're going to find is she offers her worship. She worships in the in um, in the middle of hostility. Right now, the funny thing is that I was trying to think, when does the hostility to Jesus start? And it starts all the way back in 518. And then again in 7-1, they're trying to plot his death. And then again in chapter 8. And then again in chapter 10, the Jews are trying to plot Jesus's death all the way up until Lazarus. And then all of a sudden, it, they're, all of a sudden, they say, we have to. And Caiaphas says, he must die for the people. And it, it's a little alarming when you look at John 11 and 12, how much space is given to the Pharisees' discussion to kill Jesus, like 14 verses out of John 11. This is in, in light of the resurrection life that has come to this family and come to this community. There is this understory that is very, very hostile to Jesus. And then you have, you have the resurrection of, of Lazarus. And then you have the Jews in 12, they plot Lazarus' death. Then you have the unbelief of the people. And then you have more unconfessed belief. They're, they want to believe, but they're afraid. And then in chapter 13, you have Jesus and Judas coming head to head. And then we have those chilling words, Judas leaves the presence of Jesus and it was night. He walks out into the darkness. So in the context, all around Mary's story is this growing hostility to Jesus. And I, I was reading um, a theologian, Marcus Dodds, and he said, this story is kind of the climax of the gospel. This, up until this point, the self-manifestation of Jesus, Jesus has been making himself known to the world, and now he's finished. And from this point onward to the close of the book, we, we get to see the results of, what, of how people respond to the manifestation of himself. And listen to this. He hides himself from the unbelieving and allows their unbelief full scope. Those who turned away from him, he does not try to convince but he makes further revelations and disclosure to his faithful few. And the whole gospel is a systematic and wonderfully artistic exhibition of the manner in which the deeds, words, and claims of Jesus produced on the one hand, a growing belief and enthusiasm and excitement. And on the other, a steadily hardening and unbelief and hostility. And we find that in chapter 12. It's so obvious, right? Mary's offer of love and Judas is almost immediate 
hatred of Jesus and hatred of this kind of devotion. So this is a pivot moment um, in the gospel. Um, You have John 12, Mary anoints Jesus in John 12. Then in John 12, you have the triumphal entry, which is only given a few verses in John. Basically, Mary anoints Jesus as Lord. And then the crowds acknowledge Jesus to be the king of Israel. The one who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, uh, the Marcus Dodds said, it's as if the instincts of the Jewish people were, we think that guy is king. And they wanted to respond, right? And they, when, when the pressure was off, they did respond and they acknowledged him as king. And then that beautiful line in John 12, when the Greeks come and they find Philip, who has a Greek name, and they say, sir, sir, we would see Jesus. And all of a sudden there's a hunger hunger that that breaks the bonds right that goes beyond the house in bethany that goes beyond the jewish community and that begins to reach the world and then what does jesus say now it's my hour has come my hour has come to reach the world and how am i going to reach the world i'm going to go to the cross so we see all of this is the context it is this moment right this is the moment that mary kind of sets up then after her offering Um, And after chapter 12, Jesus goes into the upper room with his disciples. This was really his last, this chapter, his last public acts um, before the cross. Then he goes into the upper room and teaches his disciples about who he is and what he wants to do. But, um, but Mary's chapter, chapter 12 is really the last public, public um, opportunity right? For people to respond. And the beautiful thing is Mary didn't miss her opportunity. As far as we know, he never goes to Bethany again. And, um, and she didn't miss her moment of worship. So Mary's story of worship. I want us to look three, three times we see Mary in scripture. We see her in Luke 10, 38 through 42. And we talked about this a little bit last week with Martha. We see her in John 11, 28 through 37 at the tomb of her brother. And we see her in John 12. And here's what's really interesting because in all three of these places, we're going to look at, in all three of these places, she is a worship. She is a woman who worships. And um, so I want to look at the characteristics of her life in terms of what worship actually is. And this is, this is what we're going to find. Worship as listening, worship as responding, worship as receiving, worship as celebrating, worship as offering, as courage, and as anointing. And I, I want us to begin to think as we, um, <laughs> as we think about Jesus doing all these things to the father and Mary offering all these things to Jesus, we find Mary following in the footsteps of Jesus, right? So uh, we're going to see, we're going to see that her story is mirroring his. So here we're going to start worship is listening. Now, ladies, this one kind of took me by surprise because this is, this is what it says in Luke 10, 38 and 39. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Isn't that funny? Okay. So, and then Martha goes on and talks and we talked about that last week. All she did, he came in and she found her place in his presence and sat and listened now, I want to talk about sometimes that when I first started studying the women in John, I kind of thought of Mary as maybe a little needy or a little emotional, right? A little, not as I was so taken with Martha the first time I read these stories that I, I, um, I, I, I knew how much Mary was devoted, but it seemed maybe there was an underlying weakness. But I want to tell you that is not the case because Mary defied every cultural norm she stood up to, she, she says almost no words, right? We don't hear her voice very much at all, but, but she is defiant in her, or did not defiant, she's determined in her desire to be where Jesus is. She's not too shy to sit with the men and listen. She's not intimidated with the frustration of her sister. She's not overwhelmed by the task that needed to be done. She was hungry to learn and to hear his voice. She wanted to listen to his words. And here's the funny thing. What did she hear? Martha's always the one who's talking to Jesus, 
right? She's always talking and Jesus welcomes the conversation, but Mary is listening. She's listening what Jesus, and she was listening to his instruction. She heard his teaching. She heard his interaction with the other men and disciples around the table. She probably overheard his conversation with Martha. She's listening. She's learning to know him. She's learning to love him. She's not trying to figure it out. She's not trying to just get things done. And she's not trying to force a place for herself. She simply wants to be where she can hear his voice. This, I think, is the first, first, if we are going to be women who live lives of worship, I think we have to be women who listen, listen to the voice of Jesus. Now, listen, how many times this is used in John, and this is not exhaustive, but listen, in John 1, the disciples heard Jesus speak and they followed him. And then in John 3, he that has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom stands and hears his voice. And then remember, the friend rejoices in the bridegroom's voice. John 4, now we believe because we've heard for ourselves the voice of Jesus, and we know he's the Christ. John 5, he that hears my word and believes on him that has sent me has everlasting life. John 5, the hour is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. As we come to Jesus in worship, right, we hear his voice, life starts to happen in us. And ladies, we don't like to sit and listen. It was funny today. I told to take the day and be with Jesus and get ready for tonight. And I want to kind of, I just want some quiet time with Jesus. Well, so started, we, I was on the early morning prayer call and then I was checking on my family numbers. And then I watched a little bit, listened to a little bit of the news. And then by the time I sat down with Jesus, I could, my brain was like, you know, you know what it was like all of our brains have been this week. And so I said, okay, Jesus, you have to help me kind of back up. And so I was trying not to listen. I was trying to not be on my phone. And it was funny because I thought we have become so used to distraction that when we actually pull back to listen, it actually is very difficult. And sometimes it creates anxiety. Like, uh, sometimes it's like we have the distraction because we're afraid. Sometimes it's just like, oh, I don't even know what to do with the quiet. That is what I think. If we are to be women who worships, we have to find a way to, to live in his presence so we can hear his voice. The hours, John 5, 28, the hour is coming in which all that are in their grave shall hear his voice and come forth. The dead shall live when they hear his voice. John 8, he that is of God hears God's voice. And then those precious passages in John 10, that the sheep hear his voice and they follow him and they go in and out and find pasture. And he knows who are his sheep and his sheep know his voice and he gives eternal life. Something eternal happens when we hear his voice. And I think we need to be women who say, what will it take in my life practically to hear his voice? What does it mean about putting my phone down? What does it mean about backing away from, so that I actually have space and time to hear his voice. And um, I think we should think creatively, not just our morning quiet time, but actually throughout the day, are we women who are listening? This is funny. In John 11, listening becomes, it's repeated over and over. Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick. Then he waited. He wanted to accomplish God's purpose. Martha heard Jesus was coming and she goes out to him immediately. Mary hears that Jesus is calling and she responds to him. The father hears Jesus's prayer at the tomb and Lazarus hears Jesus call him out of the tomb, listening, listening for his coming, listening for his voice. And the father is listening to the voice of Jesus. And when the father listens to the voice of Jesus, life comes to Lazarus. Learning to be women who listen. I think this is our, I kind of think this is our number one, our number one part of worship, the most important. Now, this week we're living in times of tension. And here's the funny thing, because Mary lived in a time of tension. She lived in a time of tension In Luke 10, there's a tension within her home. There's also a tension within her community. Who is this Jesus and is he going to die? There's a tension within the broader Israeli world. 
And uh, as we were living in a place of tension, I found my I found my reactions this week um, kind of out of proportion to what they should have been about all different kinds of things. I thought when we live in tension, we don't want to listen. Right. When there's an underlying tension in our lives, we don't. um we want to speak, we want to act, we want to move, we don't want to get quiet and listen. But here's the funny thing. Um, Mary was living in a place of tension and so was Jesus. And they both listened. Mary went to Jesus, Jesus went to his heavenly father. So I asked him, I said, what are some practical things that you can tell us? How do we live with tension, either interpersonal or on a global scale? How do we live with tension? How do we listen to you in a place of tension? First of all, we listen to his voice and we pull back where we need to. We get to know what he is talking about and we get interested in this. I think this sometimes when, uh, you know, Mary and Martha could have gone, Mary could have argued back with Martha in Luke 10. She could have said, give me a break. I just want to listen to Jesus. She doesn't do that. She gets interested in what Jesus is saying and she never responds to her sister. I think the best way to handle interpersonal tension is start listening to Jesus and let it go. Let the tension go. Get interested in what Jesus is saying. Get your eyes fixed on him and your ears listening for his voice. And let the tensions around you be kind of fade away or let Jesus handle them for you. One of the fun things I've learned um, in the last few years is we have we can surrender our right to be heard or understood. And do you know, we don't have to be understood in order to have a sense of whose we are and who we are, what God's created us to do. That doesn't depend on people's reaction to us. We're going to find in this story that everyone criticized Mary, everyone except Jesus. And I, especially for some, I think this is really important. Surrender the desire to be understood and say, Jesus, if it's only you that understands me, so be it. (laughs) And I trust you that if you understand me and then you can help me understand who you are and who you've created me to be, that is enough for me to keep walking forward with you without always being distracted by what everyone else is saying about us. I think the second thing is we surrender the right to defend ourselves and we let Jesus defend us. And that is what we see. Jesus defends Mary in Luke 10 and Jesus defends Mary in, in John 12 and in John 11 and John 11, Jesus weeps with Mary. So there's an identification of Jesus with Mary and her pain. We let Jesus fight our battles. And I think that is, that is one of the ways, how do we live with that underlying tension? Listening to his voice, letting him fight our battles. We surrender our desire to please everyone. And this is Mary. Um, She didn't please her sister. She didn't please probably the men around the room. She didn't please all the disciples when she broke the alabaster box. And uh, it didn't matter. She was listening to his voice. She she was determined. She knew what she wanted to do, what God wanted her to do. And um, there was a freedom that came. There was a witness that came. We have freedom to be quiet. The only words we hear her speak to Jesus are, uh, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Those are the only words we see. And yet she gives the most powerful witness, maybe any woman in scripture. We have the agency to decide of our actions and our words, right? (laughs) And as we listen to Jesus and he determines our identity, we have the freedom to walk in that identity formed out of listening to him. We are not servants or slaves of our circumstances. We are not servants or slaves of our emotions, relationships, or past hurts. We are free to make fair, just, good decisions because we're listening to Jesus. And sometimes I think women especially get caught in that trap, right? Like I'm always reacting to someone else's pain or I'm always reacting to my own emotional pain. And Jesus says, listen to my voice. And in listening to my voice, a life is going to flow through you that will give definition to your life. This is what he wants me to do. And this is how I'm to do it. And I don't actually have to have the approval of the whole world. There's a freedom to worship. There's a freedom to walk with him. And I think that's what he wants to do. Then we forgive. We forgive all those little hurts that are coming all the time, right? Or the big hurts that have come. We say, Jesus, we give those to you. We listen, we give to Jesus. And then there's a freedom to go forward with our worship and our work and our relationships. Listening to Jesus and allowing him to define who we are. That's what I think Mary did maybe better than any of the other women. That's what what came out of that listening. 
But I also want to say this. All throughout the book of John, not only is Mary listening, but Jesus is listening to the Father. So if you look at these passages, um, John says this about Jesus. What he has seen and heard is what he testifies. He's seen the face of the Father, and that's what he's telling us about. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. In John 8, he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world what I have heard. Sometimes we think Jesus came, right? Jesus had, Jesus, Jesus was listening to his father all the time, listening to his father. And this is one of the things I want to say about us. Jesus enters so deeply into our humanity, right? And he says, I want not, do I, he, he's not modeling listening. That's not what he's doing. I'll listen to the father. So you see what it's like. No, no, no. He's inviting us, right? He's entering into the life of the father and he's inviting us to enter into the life of God himself by identifying with us, by putting himself in that position of humility. I think it's really important that we know that the posture that he's asking us to take in worship that he's inviting us to take is the very posture that he took with the father. Whatever Jesus hears and whatever the Holy Spirit hears from the Father and in that divine conversation is what he's sharing with our hearts. When we listen to him, we put, and when he listens to the Father, he was in a position of humility. Mary was willing to be the least of these in the circle of men, right? She was willing to take the lowest place. We put ourselves in a position of trust. Jesus was not in control and Mary was not in control. She's not in control of the kitchen. (laughs) She was not in control of the conversation. She listened to what was happening around her. And when she listened, right, um, then the father was able to invite her into that conversation. And then we put ourselves in a position of learning. She was hungry enough to make space and time to listen to Jesus. Are we women who think we know everything? Or are we women that are getting more and more curious the older we get? more and more curious about who he is, more and more curious about the way he works, more and more curious about his world. I think anytime there's a quickening in our hearts and we're really listening, then um, then that's what happens in our lives. But this is the Chalcedonian Creed. And I think if we want to look at the incarnation, every single phrase in this was monumental in understanding who is Jesus and how is it that he is fully God and fully man. So Why is it, how is it possible, right? That through Jesus, we are welcomed into the heart of the father and the Chalcedonian creed lays it out line by line. It took like 400 years to to make, and there were many fights and many heresies over the language of this to try to clearly delineate who is Jesus and how is it possible that in Jesus, I'm invited into the heart of the father and the father's heart is open to me. And what a couple of the things I just want you to see, these are, these are actually my notes, but I just want you to see is these revelations that happen at Sinai where God breaks in and says, I'm God and there is no other. Right. And then in the incarnation where he says, I want to wed myself to you. I want to be joined with you. And in that we, we go together into the heart of the father And then, of course, in the resurrection and Pentecost, there's another intellectual, like death isn't the answer, right? And there is something beyond, and God himself can live within us. The Chalcedonian Creed is what lays that all out, um, how how he is fully God and fully man. And there are four four, um, adjectives in the Chalcedonian Creed, and I want us to look at them real quickly. Unconfused, there are two natures in the person of Jesus. He's fully God and he's fully man. He's not half and half. He's fully God and he's fully man. That means he fully identifies with the father and he fully identifies with us. He is, a, uh, he has the physical body of a man. That means when we get to heaven and we see God, he will have a human face. His name will be Jesus. That body he took, he took for time and eternity, right? So he looks like us and we can talk to him face to face. That means we are made, human persons are made in the image of God. And this is why it matters. We're made in such a beautiful way that God himself can inhabit human personhood. God himself can live in us. That our bodies are not to be thrown away. Our bodies are not bad. Our bodies are where God himself wants to dwell. His son came to live in a human body. And As God and man live in the person of Jesus, there is no confusion between the two. 
He doesn't change. He's this way for all eternity. They cannot be divided, right? And they cannot be separated. So from, from the incarnation, from when God was came in the person of Jesus, all through the rest of time and eternity, humanity and, and God himself are together. You say, Cricket, why does it matter? And I think here's the reason. Here's the reason. It's not something that God does for us. He doesn't save us this way, right? He joins himself to us and takes us into the heart of the Father. That's what he's wanting to do in the Middle East, right? Join himself to believers in the Middle East and take, take believers into the heart of the Father. Open up parts of the world to God himself. Sometimes we have too simple a view of what he really wants to do. When he listens to the Father and when Mary listens to him, she takes the whole posture of worship and the whole posture of listening to the heart of the Father for this world. And I don't want to get to, I don't want to get carried away with the theology of it, but I do want us to recognize how important it is, how deeply the Father loves us. And the ramifications it has for all our lives and how living as listeners is living as worship and whatever we need to do in our lives to make it happen. And you say, well, Cricket, I have three young kids or I take care of the sick person or I, this, this, I, 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 that's where I think the creativity of God comes, right? Where Jesus says, I'll tell you when to pull back and I'll tell you when to push in. And I'll tell you how to talk to me while you do the laundry. And I'll tell you how to listen to me while you do the dishes. I will build that into your life particular for you. And that's where I think I, the fun comes. All right worship the second one worship is responding so when martha comes to her this is in john this is in john 11 um martha comes to mary after martha's already talked to jesus martha comes to mary and she says the teacher is here and he's calling for you and when mary heard it she rose quickly and went to him jesus is always first right he's always calling us and it is our job to simply rise and go where he's calling us right? The funny thing about Mary that this is just something to notice everywhere Mary goes, you always see Martha and Jesus talking one-on-one, but everywhere Mary goes, people are watching. And I'm not exactly sure why this is. The disciples are watching. Her sister is watching. The Jews are watching. Judas is watching people wherever she goes. So one reason she couldn't have a private conversation with Jesus is because this whole crowd of people went with her. So all, but wherever she went, right, she went right into his presence. So they did as well. I love Mary in her worship. She's honest and she speaks her confidence and her disappointment to him. If you had been here, I know you could have saved him. If you had been here, she, she's honest. And then these are her only words. And then you have this beautiful picture, right? Um, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In third verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Oh, there are lots of people who say, why did he cry? He knew what he was going to do. Why would he have cried? Here's just the beauty of this is I think Jesus fully enters in, fully enters into the emotion of Mary and her sister at that moment, fully enters into the pain of death at that moment. And so he, he doesn't really respond to her. He just simply says, where have you laid him? Worship as responding, worship as receiving Mary and her sister receive resurrection life, right? They met at the tomb. Martha's, Martha gave the nod to move the tomb, to move the stone away. And both of them watched their brother come out of death and into life. She received resurrection life into her home, into her personal life, into the dead places, into her community, into her family. Worship means receiving. Worship isn't just something we do, right? Worship is receiving the life of God into ourselves, receiving his eternal resurrection life, and then responding to him. That's what she did. And then what's the next thing she did? Worship of celebration. We talked about this a little last week, and this is our main passage. Um, John 12, one through eight, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead was from, and they gave a dinner for him there and Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. 
Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you have with you always, you will not always have me. The worship, Mary's act of worship comes during a celebration. Celebration of Jesus's act, celebration of the resurrection life he brought to their family, celebration of Lazarus life. It is a celebration and it is around the table. And here's what I think. I think Martha, Lazarus and Jesus were all involved in this celebration. They were involved in planning it. They were involved in throwing it. This was a celebration, a thank you celebration. Worship involves celebrating Jesus for who he is. Worship involves celebrating Jesus for what he has done. Worship involves celebrating Jesus around a table with family and friends, inviting people in and saying, you come too, you come too. I can't wait to tell you about what Jesus is doing. Worship involves celebration. Sometimes we are women who carry heavy burdens and we forget, we forget to stop and say, oh, all that Jesus has done for us. Living as women of worship means that we're celebrating. We're celebrating who Jesus is. And we're celebrating personally, but we're also celebrating publicly. And then here, worship as offering. Now, we, when we think about worship a lot of times, and we think about this story particularly, we think about the alabaster box um, that Mary took and broke at Jesus' feet. The beautiful thing about the alabaster box was, or the alab- it was a flask and it had to be broken. It's not like a stopper could be taken out. It had to be broken. So Mary had this very expensive. Now, I think she had Lazarus and Martha's full support on this. And I'll tell you why. Otherwise, if Mary had come out with a whole year's wages in perfume to pour on Jesus's feet, you know, Martha would have said, Mary, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> you know, she would have spoken up. And Martha does not say a word. I believe that this was a gift given by the family to Jesus. Whole year's worth of wage for a day laborer. It was a very expensive gift. And it is is poured out, right? So it is all used up. She breaks the flask and pours it at Jesus' feet. Her, Her decision to bring worship and gratitude to Jesus involved this. It was a family worship. I thought that was so interesting. What does it mean to worship Jesus for ourselves? What does it mean to be women who worship, who live in worship? But what does it mean to be a family that worships? Or what does it mean to worship in community? Next week, we're going to see four women who stand together at the cross and what it meant that they stood there together. This week, we're seeing three siblings who worship Jesus together. I think that is a beautiful expression of what God can do in any family, right? Especially the Mary Martha family. It was expensive. Worship is costly. Worship does not just mean I listen to praise music on my way home from work. Worship involves a sacrifice. Worship involves an expense, something that is costly. And as I was thinking about it, As I was praying about it, I thought, Jesus, what are you asking us to give? Though he didn't ask Mary to give this, right? This was the spontaneous. So it's more like, Jesus, what do we have to give as women? What do we have to give as families? It was extravagant. It was made from pure nard. It was very expensive vase or flask that it was in. Um, it It was extravagant. It was public worship can be private, but worship can also and sometimes must be public. And Mary did not miss her opportunity for a public acknowledgement and worship of Jesus. She did not miss her moment. Sometimes a moment will come to us and whether or not we choose to worship him in that moment, it may, we, it may not come again for Mary. It didn't. It was very, this moment was also very personal. It meant she was vulnerable with Jesus. It meant she was vulnerable with the other people in the room. And I think true worship does does create a vulnerability in us. Whenever we identify with Jesus in just pure love, 
a there is a vulnerability that comes. And then her worship was wholehearted. The house was filled with a fragrance. The box had to be broken. It was all poured out. It wasn't like I'll save some for later. It was all poured out, right? Like if you took your perfume, I have a beautiful perfume for my husband. If I took it and just poured it all out in one, in one fell swoop, that's what happens. I'm all in and I'm all in, in this, in this public way. Now I want to, I want us to stop and think about this practically for a moment, because I think as we are women in the middle of our busy lives, right? And we think Jesus at this point in human history, at this moment, what would it mean for me to worship you in this way? What would it mean for me to do something extravagant for love of you? Something that costs me something. What would it mean for me to do something in a public way, something that is personal, something that's wholehearted? Now, some of us in our zeal can think of things that, um, oh, we could do this or we could do this. But I think if we're listening to the voice of Jesus, then he will, the Holy Spirit will begin to whisper to our hearts, here's how you can love the Lord Jesus in this hour. And it may be different for each one of us. Here's how you can love the Lord Jesus in this hour. And what we're going to find at the end of this story is that Mary's love for Jesus is also her mission. <laughs> her mission was the heart of God and Jesus. It was Jesus to whom she was to minister. And by pouring out her love on him, the whole world was touched. So it may be at, in the quiet in these days that are so full of anxiety, so full of stress. And maybe we just say, Jesus, how do I worship you here? Does it mean pulling back? Does it mean being quiet? Does it mean, what does it mean here? And um, it doesn't mean everything. We don't need to all do the things, right? He needs a cricket way and in a normal way. He needs all of us, right? To bring our love for him, our love for him to him in a way that fits. And, and we don't know. We won't know till eternity um, how far our stories goes. But, um, but Mary's story um, was connected to his story for the rest of her, for the rest of time, right? So any love gift offered in that extravagant and wholehearted way will not be wasted. But now here's what we have to face. And this is hard. And this is what we don't want to face is that when we worship, worship as courage, I am sure Mary was intuitive. Mary knew. I'm sure Mary knew that sitting around that table, just as she knew that there were Jews outside her home that wanted Jesus dead. She heard the talk. She heard the rumors. I am sure she had a sense that around that table, there was some division. And yet still, she still, she offers her gift. And Judas sits there. And as the love is poured out, what happens in his heart? Anger. And I can tell you, if you see someone pouring out their heart in love for Jesus and anger rises in you here, be warned. Take your heart to Jesus and say, is there treachery in my heart? Because treachery does not start as treachery, right? Treachery simply starts as a kind of cynicism, a disappointment, a resentment, um, an anger that my voice isn't being heard, or this person has done me wrong, or Jesus hasn't acted the way I thought. Treachery in the human heart begins slowly and then grows. Treachery to Jesus will also mean treachery to our children and our husbands and everyone we know. Women, we must beware. And anytime you say, I'm responding with resentment, I'm responding out of pain, we have to take, stop everything, take the time to bring it to Jesus and say, get the treachery out. Jesus, Judas has, the, the treachery has started and has grown. What do we know about Judas? He's about to betray Jesus. He's about to make that power move. Remember the guy in John five. And as soon as Jesus healed him, he went to the authorities and said, it was Jesus, right? Telling on Jesus. It happens in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus. And some of the Jews go right to the, to the Pharisees and says, this is what's happening. Anytime we're trying to get in with people in power and we're willing to betray Jesus for it, or we're willing to walk away, or we're willing to disown Jesus people because of a power move, it's wrong. Anytime we're willing to put some people up here who maybe are a little prettier and more talented and the ones who aren't quite as nice, we put down a, that's wrong. That's where treachery begins. Those power moves for the sake of ourselves is treachery. 
And we have to be aware enough to say, oh, Jesus, keep our hearts clean. Judas did not care about the poor. In fact, I read one, one commentary and they said the poor knew they were safer with Mary than with Judas. And if they needed something, they knew they should go to, to Mary. Anyone who's willing to waste an extravagant love gift on Jesus would do anything she could to help anyone else. If I'm willing to pour out love on Jesus, then I am willing to help the poor. I am willing to help the needy. It just goes with the territory. Love for Jesus creates love for his world. The poor would not have gone to Judas, right? He was calculating. He was selfish. He was power playing. He was a thief. He was motivated by self-interest. And do you know, ladies, I think that is where we just keep coming to Jesus and let him turn us inside out. So we're more concerned about him than we are. And we trust him to take care of us, right? We can, there can be a delicious freedom that says, I just don't have to worry about myself. He will take care of me. And I can just concern myself with him and listening to him. Judas had charge of the money bag and helped himself. Now, the interesting thing is John said this as if the disciples all knew, right? This is who Judas was. He was, he was stealing, right? So isn't that interesting that within the inner circle, within the 12, there was, there was theft going on. There were power plays going on. There were things going on that were, um, that were sinful and that would lead to the betrayal of Jesus. The disciples knew it. And so what does he say? He speaks up because hatred, right? Treachery will not be silent, right? And when love is poured out on Jesus, you will find opposition. Um, so why was this not sold and given to the poor? And this is what I think, um, what I think Jesus is that in a heart, a heart full of worship has to be a clean heart. And we have to live close enough to him, listening to him, that, that we keep giving him our hearts and saying, Jesus, is our heart clean? And I think there's real wisdom, right, in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So that every day, yes, he can clean our hearts in a moment. But every day also, there needs to be that coming to him and saying, Jesus, keep me clean. Jesus, keep me clean. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, guard my words. Jesus, protect me from living. I don't want to live out of my brokenness. Help me to live out of your resurrection life. True worship is not about our words. It's about, and it's, it's about what we do with Jesus. Remember, that's what John 7, John 8 is. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What are we going to do with Jesus? That is the question. What do we do with Jesus? And when we worship him, when we listen to him, when we love him, when we offer ourselves to him, then he keeps our hearts clean. Religion is not worship. Service is not worship. Giving even is not worship. Now they can be, but in and of themselves, they're not. It is Jesus. Unless we do these things out of love for Jesus and an acknowledgement of his lordship, then they are, they can not only be, they can be stumbling blocks. So all ladies, we just want to make sure there's no bitterness, no resentment, no anger or lust or discontent, no jealousy, no self-protection, no self-interest, no self at the center. And do you know what? When we get under tension and pressure, those things just arise in our hearts, right? They just come up. And then what do we do? We pull back. We say, Jesus, here's my heart. <laughs> would you cleanse my heart? And would you help me so that I'm living in the freedom and the love of Mary worship? And then what's the last thing about this? Jesus, Jesus defends her. Jesus defends her to Martha. Jesus weeps with her at the tomb. And then Jesus defends her to Judas, which I love. She, Mary doesn't say anything to Judas. She just simply pours out her love offering at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says in such strong words, leave her alone. What I love about Mary, she worshiped Jesus in spirit and in truth, right? Remember from the Samaritan woman and what, and what we have, she's, he says, she's keeping this for the day of my burial. She's anointing my body for burial. And this is where, um, understanding the incarnation comes. She's participating in the life of God. So God, the father says, here's my son. And he comes in a physical body. And she says, this body this body is holy. This out of this life has come resurrection life to my family. And as I wipe his feet with my hair, I anoint his body. 
I bless the one that God the Father has sent to me. It's like an act of blessing, an act of receiving the life and the body of Jesus and blessing it and preparing coming next. I think, I think what she's doing, I don't think she probably understood all she was doing, but that living body of Jesus as that ointment, as that ointment was poured out on it and Jesus smelled the beauty of that fragrance. There was an offering of love that went right to the heart of the father as if someone received his love gift of his son and responded in kind. The father says, I've given you the very best I've had. And Mary says, and I've given you the very best I have. And out of that interchange of love between the father and Mary, Jesus is prepared for what's coming next. And though the women anointed his body after the crucifixion, he didn't know, right? So this was his receiving, receiving the love of one woman. And then what did he say? Is Matthew in Matthew in it's um, he he says um, about this gift. Wherever my story is told, what she has done will be told in remembrance. The father, the father receives her love. Jesus receives her love and then writes her story with his for all time. And then she becomes right. She becomes the invitation to us to live as women of worship to be a blessing to Jesus, to anoint Jesus, to say we receive the love of the Father in the person of Jesus, and we give all that we are, and we give all of our love. And then it strengthens Jesus. How is that even possible? Her love gifts strengthen Jesus for what lay ahead. Is it possible that even today our love for Jesus will strengthen him for what lies ahead? His heart is breaking today over what's happening in our world. And what if there were a hundred women who said, Jesus, we want to worship you. <laughs> not just, not just received from you in worship, but we want to worship you. We want to be a blessing. We want to receive the love the father's given us in the person of Jesus. And we want to pour out all of our love on Jesus at this time. Worship is an invitation to us to receive the body of Jesus to bless him through our love and our offering. And I think it takes all of all of the creativity um, in each of our love stories with Jesus. Mary's mission, this worship is mission. Mary's mission was to the heart of God, the father. And as she listened and responded to Jesus, as she received his resurrection life, as she celebrated his resurrection life, as she offered her extravagant love, as she worshiped in the face of hostility and as she anointed his body, his physical body, something happened in the heart of God. And once something happened in the heart of God, then it went out to the Jesus story everywhere. And so her story is written into his story and we are talking about it 2000 years later and, and people are being drawn to worship Jesus, not to talk, not just to talk about Jesus, not to just try to figure out who he is, but to worship him and in love. And that's why I think he's calling us today. And I think he's wanting to do it in new and fresh ways. And I think he's inviting us to do it now at this moment in time, like we've never done it before. Let's ask him, um, Jesus, we're listening. We're listening to what you want to say. And then we want to worship. We want our lives right now at this moment in history to be a living worship. 